Okay, recording. All right. Hey, what's up, Trash Talkers? Welcome to episode 21 of the Trash Talk Hour. Our special guests today are Leah, who is an MST survivor. For you civilians that are watching, MST stands for Military Sexual Trauma. And in case you missed it, go check out our YouTube, Veteran Trash Talk. She did an amazing interview with Nick. Leah, we, we salute you and thanks for coming on. We also have retired Sergeant Major Troxel on the show. So he was a senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. Kind of a big deal, and we look forward to hearing about what he's going on. My phone's going off here. Also want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Ventura Training and Athletics and Cardinal Financial. If you're broke like Nick is, go check out Ventura Training and Athletics, and it'll get you squared away. Also, special shout out to 10th Mountain Distillery. Um, my phone keeps going off. Dave, turn your phone off. It's connected to my damn computer. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and say we may want to let that one go to voicemail. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, I know you're below numbers there in Phoenix, so you're, it's probably your Sergeant Major saying, first RJ, why are we not having 60 guys? Yeah, yeah. She's probably asking, why are we not live? She wants to see Sergeant Major Troxel. I'm about to get a call from my dad. He's going to be pissed. Yeah. He's like, he, was, he, was, he just sent me a text like, what are, you, are you guys doing live or what? I was like, yeah. hey. We're going to have to do this again. She's going to keep calling. Just, 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 yeah, that's cool. Hey, um, so I'm still recording. We're going to keep all this on, Dave. I'm not editing yeah, beautiful. this out. It's, no, it's, no. This, this, is, this is coming on there. No, stay there and talk to her. No, no, uh, Dave. Sit down, David. Uh, David, sit down. Sit David. down. Anyways, we want to know so, the conversation. Hey, so I'll pick wow. it up, though. We don't, we don't need Dave right now. So those of you uh, watching this, uh, we tried to go live. It's, it sucked. Uh, our producer is on vacation. <laughs> And uh, he didn't want to help us out on one of our biggest nights, uh, so that's not a big deal. Uh, anyways, let's go to uh, Joe Britson. Let's go to his uh, his soapbox. But before that, would you mind giving us the Detroit sports update? Come again, Nick. What did you just ask me for? <laughs> Give me the Detroit sports update. When we we got guests, Nick, like I know, in no, front I of the guests. I know what's going on with Detroit. What, hey, okay, my husband's what, from Michigan. We so. we Don't have this, there. Nick. We have this conversation. <laughs> all right, fine. He's gonna make me do it in front of the guests. You want to shame me? Yeah. Want to break me down? Hear me say it? Yeah, all right, fine. Let's hear it. I remember Sergeant going Major up. Major Garcia says hi, Sergeant Major. Oh well, you just <laughs> needed a ski mask and an AK, and you would have hijacked my soapbox there, Dave. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've you've been oh, you've been silenced. Give us the Detroit minute. You good, Joe? Tigers teams, but they're bringing up they're bringing up the back of the AL Central. So there's that. Um, I haven't followed the Pistons since Lambeer, but take my word for it, they suck. Um, the Lions are the Lions, like my grandfather said, and um, the Detroit Red Wings from Hockey Town are also a rebuild and bringing up dead last in the Atlantic Division. So how's it feel to be a Detroit fan? It sucks. That's it. There's nothing else I can say. It's, it, it's absolutely brutal. It's like signing up for another year of abuse. And I hope you enjoy – my heart's up now. So I hope you had to hear that, okay, because it hurts me it. to say it. I did. It made me feel better. So uh, uh, do you have a soapbox or are you too wound up? Whew, man. Um, no, that was that, – that literally was uh, – the the bulk of it right there i mean if so we're there, gonna, you, there you have it trash talk nation detroit sucks at everything all right so um we're we've I didn't covered say that, that i just said you know they lose a lot and it's uh, painful right. to support all right so let me let me introduce leah uh real quick not real quick it's gonna take a while but those of you who haven't watched our youtube channel and watched an interview with uh leah and i all right it's extremely powerful she's a extremely brave warrior 
and uh, what she's done and what she's went through and how she's been able to uh, deal with it and become stronger is a truly remarkable story. And, you know, whether she wants to talk about that or not, she's on here to promote her business as well. But again, people who don't understand what our, our group is, our community is, is we're here for each other because nobody, no outside source, nobody's going to, Nobody's going to step in and just save veterans, all right? We have to take care of each other, all right? We're, we're the ones that can fix it. And like we always say, the demons inside of you, you got to get it out, and together we can all crush it. We can all crush that demon. Uh, she was an extreme blessing to our page, and it, we didn't expect it. We didn't expect uh, women to, or even some men, to have even contacted us, you know, being part of MST, which is the military sexual trauma. And it's like, yeah, we didn't even think about that. They didn't even think about people struggling with that. And uh, I've had a couple uh, females and males, like I said, males contact us and I sent them right to Leah and other women have contacted Leah off that interview and she's saving lives, bottom line. So Leah, we salute you uh, with the 10th Mountain Bourbon. Here's you, right. Leah. We salute Cheers. you, Leah. Uh, you're a true warrior and the, the floor is yours. So tell us what you got going on and uh, how, how it's been. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, gentlemen. Uh, it's, it's really an honor to be able to share my voice in a way that hopefully, like I said before, is not a, a kind of victim mindset. Um, you know, when I became a mother is when I knew that I wanted to change my circumstances, meaning that I had to change how things were affecting me. Like you can't change things that have happened to you, but you can change how you see things in the future and how that affects you, you know, from the present to the future. So um, the, a lot of the ladies that have been reaching out to me since our last interview, you know, they, they want answers, which I can't personally answer for every person because healing and recovery looks different for everybody. Um, but I'm really excited that I, I know that I've made a breakthrough, helped, you know, helped make breakthroughs with, with some of these women because they would ask me stuff and I just kind of guide them through asking other questions and telling them some things that I've done, which has been a shit ton of personal development. Like it seems super cheesy, but like instead of me listening to music most of the time or watching the news, like I don't watch the news like ever. Um, instead of, you know, watching trash TV, like housewives and different things like that. Like I'm constantly filling my mind with positive things, podcasts with books. And a lot of times it's eBooks. So I don't have time to sit down and read. Um, but I've been doing that for years. Um, I'd reached out to the VA. I've been through therapy a few times with the VA. I've been through meds with them and I felt like none of it helped me. And I want to caveat that by saying that I do think that those avenues are really good to, to use, but they may not help everybody. Like the, the type of therapy they wanted to offer me, uh, it wasn't a good fit for me. I mean, they're like, Oh, you have to be here, you know, every week we want to put you in a group and you know, like I didn't have childcare. My husband was at work. And I'm like, how are you, how do you expect me to, pay for childcare and come and talk about something that I don't want to talk to you about. You're a bunch of strangers. You're connected to the military. So I didn't trust them, you know, but I, I do want people to be able to use the avenues that they have and see if it's something that, that, that helps them. But for me, it was a ton of personal development and it's constant. And there's a lot of things 
Like, I feel like, cause I have childhood trauma and different things like that. And I feel like I've really been able to overcome most of that and just be a very positive person. And I really work hard on trying to, you know, make other people's day and, and share that in a way that can hopefully uplift them in some way. But there's a lot about my experiences in the military that because I haven't really discussed it, because I haven't addressed it, it's not that it's, it, it's still an issue, but I choose for it not to command my life, you know, because I, I look to my kids and I, I think about what kind of mother do I want them to remember me being? And that's kind of what pushes me to constantly better myself. And I mean, I, I, I feel like I still have a chip on my shoulder about a lot of things, but it's not as obvious. And, you know, I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want it to be like this issue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel like, um, like that chip on your shoulder some, sometimes, even though you recognize it as a chip and some people might think of that as a negative, um, you've been able to kind of turn that in and not necessarily forget, but um, because you didn't forget, it fueled you to, to make something out of it. Not, not let the negativity kind of take command, like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't, you know, I was talking to a girl the other day that had watched our first interview and I can tell she's very, very angry and, you know, she wants justice and like revenge, which I totally understand. I completely understand that. But what I had to kind of talk to her about was, you know, is that revenge or that justice? Like, how is that going to serve you in the long run? How will that serve your child in the long run? Is it going to better your life? Um, and I know that, you know, for some people, when they are trying to do the right thing, like I was always that soldier that was like trying to do the right thing. And so I would speak up for other people being wronged because I just couldn't stand seeing it. I never really stood up for myself, but I would be like, hey, what are you doing to this soldier over here? Like, stop. And then of course I would be kind of, <laughs> you know, like blacklisted for being the, the loud bitch that wouldn't keep my mouth shut. And all I was trying to do was like, follow regulation, do the right thing, take care of soldiers. Um, trying to be an NCO and you were a bitch it, for it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what you are. Like as a female in the military, I mean, you have two choices, right? I mean, you're, you're a bitch or you're a slut. And if you sleep with one person, whether you have a relationship with that person or not, you're, you're a slut. And if, if somebody is a pervert and like is messing around and trying to get you to sleep with them and you don't, then you're a bitch. That's period. And that has nothing to do with like actually doing your job. Um, but I, you know, like I understand wanting, I understand not wanting what happened to you to happen to somebody else. So you want to speak up. And I definitely think there's a time and a place for that. And, and you should do it when you can. Um, but you also have to weigh your options as far as, you know, is this, is it going to happen? Is this person truly going to, you know, pay for what they did? I, personally believe that everybody has to pay for whatever they did in the long run. But if your focus is seeking revenge and justice, instead of focusing on healing, then you're not serving yourself 
and you're just going to live a life in constant pain and agony and, and just anger. And you have to be able to, you know, you don't have to forget. Um, I think forgiveness, I know this is crazy to a lot of people, but forgiveness is so important, but not for anybody that has wronged you, but for yourself, like forgiveness is for you. And that's one of the conversations that I had the other day that I feel like kind of sparked some change because a lot of times you feel like, you know, if you're forgiving somebody, then that means that you're saying that it's okay. You did that to me. And that's, that's not what you're doing. You know, you're releasing that so that you can heal and you can move forward. Yeah. So, um, again, it's, I have the, you know, the interview going through my head again and how, how mad I was getting, you know, and like, I started to sweat, like, I'm like, I, I, you know, and I, I knew that that wouldn't do any good for me to get upset. Uh, Cause it's not me, you know, and that's the thing that a lot of people understand. It's about, it's about the person, you know, that is dealing with it. And, but we're here to support. And now that you've started this, like I said, we have an avenue that we never thought of. And like I said, you're a blessing to us. Uh, you're a blessing to the veteran community that you're able to do that and be that strong. And you're exactly what, you know, the army has trained warriors and NCOs to be. And you are a prime example of that. And we, we appreciate that. Uh, what have you been doing since you got out though? You have a business, right? So, and that, that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, not only the outside uh, wellness, but the inside wellness as well. So what do you got going on there? Absolutely. So, you know, I, part of the chip on my shoulder is that, uh, you know, every supervisor that I really had harassed me, you know, sexually harassed me. Um, and it was hard for me to get ahead. Like I, I've mentioned before, like I was an E4 for four years. I was an E5 for five years. Cause every time I would be like, Hey, when can I go to the board? What do I need to do to prove myself? It was always like, well, you can blow me. And that was the answer. And so I would just wait until, you know, somebody saw that I had earned a promotion, you know, to be able to go to the board and, and be able to prove myself. And so I really like don't want to go to work for somebody else. I don't want to be creating somebody else's dream. And so I am part of a, a health and wellness company that actually I came across because I was gaining weight. I, I was uh, medically retired after 13 years, which I ended up taking because of my severe anxiety because of everything that I was going through but I have arthritis and degenerative disc disease in my neck, back, and knee. And I went through two years of pain management. I went through chiropractic care, physical therapy, pain meds. I went through acupuncture, uh, massage therapy. And they got to the point, they're like, listen, um, like you're getting worse and worse. Like nothing is helping. So we're just going to start a board, which by the way, was hell. Because when you start med boarding, it doesn't matter what kind of soldier you are you're now a turd, right? So that was a nightmare, but I took it because I just wanted to get out of my nightmare in the military. Um, but I came across this health and wellness company. It's uh, their, their Hero Products is a liquid collagen, which collagen is all in our body. And I started taking it and I feel better than I, I felt before I joined the military. So it's helped my arthritis discomfort. It's helped my degenerative disc disease discomfort. It's really been a blessing and we have stuff like I've lost weight with it. I've gone down from a size 10 to a size six, you know, post babies and just hormones and craziness. So 
it's been a blessing to me. And so I share that with others to help them like, you know, feel better holistically. We were kind of mentioning that a little bit earlier. I know you're talking, you're working with some other companies with holistic health and that's become really, really important to me. You know, I mean, the army just throws pain meds at you and everything and half the time it doesn't work. So that's, what's worked for me. And that's what I share with other people. Hey Leah, what, what's the plug for that? We're going to obviously put it on the, uh, you know, on the video and everything, but where can they, you know, find your company if they're looking for it? Um, well, so the thing is like they can go to the company, but they won't necessarily be connected to me unless they have a specific code. Uh, but it's, it's Modare is the name of the company. Like we don't really advertise the name of the company cause we brand ourselves. Okay. Um, but I can, you know, I can share a code or share a link or whatever. I actually yeah, wanted sure. to talk to you guys about that just to see if that's something that you wanted to tie in, um, for additional, you know, anything for you guys. You yeah, know? absolutely. We don't want it to go to the company necessarily. We want to help you out. Yeah. So give us uh give us the link and then I'll put it on, uh, when you're talking about it, when I edit it, I'll put the, the link over the screen. So it's not a big deal, Okay. Uh, but we'd love to give you that business. Uh, anybody have any follow-ups for Leah? That was great, Leah. Thank you. Anybody hey, have any Leah, follow-ups? Leah, I just wanted to say, um, um, from my situation, um, you know, it was kind of like what Nick said, this, this avenue was almost kind of like it chose us. Um, cause we just, we, you know, not, we just didn't had no experience with it, but the veteran that came across my page that I did that MST interview with was, um, she wouldn't, I mean, she showed her hand. I remember that, you know, I saw that um, I, I, for fear of what, and, um, we've stayed friends. Um, I, you know, she's watched, uh, she's watched my little girl. Like I, I active, we speak all the time. Um, but you coming out and doing it the way you did it and delivering it with such conviction, like, you know, uh, anybody that's got the guts to speak their truth, go ahead. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to come out and, um, I meant the world to her and it's, and it's, um, helped build, um, our female community immensely. Um, so thank you very much because we, we wanted to send that message that, yeah, a bunch of 11, 11 Bravos want you here. We, we, that's why we named it veteran trash talk. We want everybody here and they're welcome. And you are a huge part of why so many have felt welcome. So uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Cause that was, it was awesome. It was a tremendous uh, ripple effect you had. I appreciate that. Anything that I ever can do for you guys, I'm here. Please know that. Is We're all here for each other. That's important. the whole point. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's we're just going to take care of each other uh okay so all right leah anything else or are we are we going on because it's you're the you're the champ of this uh so far of uh veteran trash talk all right so now our next guest uh which i wish we were live we were supposed to be live we had a lot of people that wanted to watch this um so they're just gonna have to deal with it in the comments because we have a popular guy now What's, uh, what's strange about it being popular is is I have 15 and a half years in the Army. I'm a young buck. Uh, Dave's got about 17-something. Joe was uh, hurt and quit, so not a big deal. Um, but either way, I, I went to take this job at the Non-Commissioned Officer Leadership Center of Excellence, otherwise known as Nickel Co. And everybody's like, hey, the SEAC's coming. And I'm like, is it a Navy guy? You know, like, I, who is that? You know, and like... I'm like, how, how do we not know who this awesome person is? 
And uh, I, I, I was like, should be a picture of him somewhere, right? Like, I look at the wall. I didn't see him on the wall. Like, where, who's this guy? So uh, I, I figured maybe because you weren't infantry, they didn't give you a picture. I'm not quite sure. Um, maybe that could be what it is. But, hey, welcome to the Trash Talk Hour. Uh, Sergeant Major SEAC retired John Wayne Troxel. It is an absolute privilege to have you on here. Uh, yeah. Tell us tell us what you got going on because the list is long. Well, uh, Cheers. thank you all to you warriors here. Thank you so much. And Leah, thank you so much for your service, uh, your testimonial, but most importantly, your fortitude and being able to uh, overcome, you know, the trauma you've been through and now being that kind of ambassador to make sure that, uh, you know, there's awareness, but there's prevention and there's support out there. So God bless you. You're a true treasure. And it's great to meet you. To all you other gentlemen, thanks for allowing me to be on here. I'm excited to be here. So uh, question is, what am I doing now? So um, I thought when I retired as the SEAC, and, and by the way, I spent 37 years, 10 months, 29 days on active duty. Not that I was counting, but my wife was reminding me every day. And the SEAC, being the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Secretary of Defense, the senior non-commissioned officer in the Department of Defense. A lot of people, you know, don't understand the position and what it is because they're so service-centric. So if you're wearing an army uniform, you think the senior guy is the sergeant major of the army, you know? Well, <laughs> so the sergeant major of the army reports to the chief of staff of the army and the secretary of the army, while the SEAC reports to the chairman and the secretary of defense. And it's still a new position. I'm only the third guy to hold it. Well, actually the fourth guy um, with uh, the current guy, CZ Colon Lopez, two army guys, Joe Ganey was number one, I was number three. Ironically, Ganey and I grew up in the same platoon in the 82nd Airborne Division back in the 80s. But one of the things, you know, to get the what position. What unit were you in, Sergeant Major? What unit? Again? What unit were you in? 3rd Battalion, 73rd Armor. The old Sheridans, if you guys remember that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I don't know. When, I, when we were fighting Sheridans in Just Cause and Desert Storm, some of you guys might have been shitting yellow or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, we know what you're talking about. They they did the honor of making the cavalry divisions three seven five again, three seven three, and stuff like that. But that's awesome. Yeah. So in order to give the SEAC position credence, you know, we already had the positional flag like the sergeant major of the army and the other service senior enlisted. We had the same amount of pay and everything, but we didn't have a distinctive rank insignia. And ten days before I retired, we finally got it approved, and I brought it with me. This is the Army version of the SEAC rank right here. And if you look in the center, it's got the Department of Defense Eagle and four stars around it. So when General Milley pinned this on me 10 days before I retired, he said, hey, look, you know, this is another milestone. We got it done. You ain't going to wear this for very long, but you can be buried in it. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, I retired as the SEAC, and I did not want to, you know, I was still goal-oriented, you know, even after th almost 38 years of active duty and, some people want to retire and they just want to go fishing. Some people want a nice GS job or they want to, you know, go work at Lowe's or anything, all honorable kind of stuff. But I wanted to make an effort uh, to one, give back to an institution that gave so much to me through military and veteran support organizations and military family organizations. But also I wanted to be able to make my way in the corporate world. And so, uh, I think you all know there's a stigma about us enlisted, you know, that regardless of how much education we get, um, we're still enlisted. And when we retire, we have to go work at range control or uh, do something to make people cut their grass on a military base or something. 
And when I was getting ready to retire, so many times people would stop by, general officers and flag officers, and tell me, so what are you going to do now? You're going to go work at range control? And I got so sick of hearing this bullshit that the last, the day before I retired, an Air Force three star worked in, he's an Air Force four star now, and he commands one of our combatant commands, walked into my office, said, so what are you going to do? You're going to go uh, work at Lowe's or something? I said, let me tell you something, General. When you retire, you're going to have to compete with me for jobs, all right? Okay? <laughs> so basically what I was telling him is, you know, excuse my language, go fuck yourself, you know? But um, I just, there's a stigma about us that we can't get after it. So I said, I'm going to go out and make my name in the world. And I told people, in order to have opportunities in the corporate world as a retiree and as an, an enlisted First of all, you got to take your professional military reputation that's built on selfless service. For our whole lives, we've been doing nothing but giving to others. And I will tell you, if you have a selfless service kind of attitude in the corporate world, you're going to get run the fuck over. All right. The bottom line is you got to take that that self or that uh, reputation and turn it into a marketable personal brand that will be attractive to businesses and corporations. And then clearly define our knowledge, skills, and attributes and what we can bring to an organization in corporate America. And that can be done through a resume process, you know, by translating what it says on your evaluations and everything and put that in a resume. And the last thing is have a robust network. And when you combine all of that together, you're going to get opportunities in the corporate world, you know. So I, I wanted to do my own thing. So I started my own consulting company, PME Hard Consulting. Um, at PME Hard Consulting, we provide uh, leadership and human uh, performance solutions for organizational excellence. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm focused mainly in helping veteran support organizations, military support organizations. I'm doing a lot in the fitness and nutrition industry. And, uh, and then I'm doing other things, sitting on boards and everything. So I'm associated with 16 different organizations and seven of them are pro bono what I'm doing. So I can go down the list if you want me to, but um, a lot of it's, you know, supporting the military, supporting our veterans, supporting families, but also in the fitness and nutrition industry uh, to help people live better lives. Hey, that's amazing, Sergeant Major. Obviously, we are of a trash talk hour, uh, so we like to stay comical a little bit. You know, you do, have, you do have a little bit of a legacy in regards to e-tools. If you want to kind of elaborate on that, um, obviously all of us know about it. I know Nick knows about it. Extremely funny story. Um, yeah. Because you're known to fly off the handle in a positive way, you know, and uh, yeah. if you could just elaborate on that a little bit, that would be great. So when I got to Washington, D.C., I got selected as a SEAC. I was the U.S. Forces Korea Command Senior Enlisted Leader. I interviewed with General Joe Dunford, Marine General, for the job. He selected me. And when I got to Washington, D.C., I've been a tactical thinking guy my whole life. Now, obviously, I've grown through the operational strategic environment to fully understand uh, the operating environment that we're in all over the globe. But I still hadn't forgotten where I came from. And it's like Leah would say, it's all about those around us, you know, and making sure we don't forget about them. So when I got to the Pentagon and I had this brand of leadership, which is the Pentagon, 22,000 people, and 70% of them are colonels and higher, or, or uh, SESs or stuff like that. Or I'd see an enlisted person walking down the hallway and they'd say, good morning, sir or ma'am. And the officer wouldn't even answer him. I'd say, hey, that trooper went out of their way to show respect to you. So get off your fucking high horse and give them the greeting of the day back. 
And so they weren't accustomed to that kind of, you know, in your face kind of leadership. And that's all I've ever done. I spent 21 years as a Sergeant Major and I never changed from being a battalion level Sergeant Major to being the SEAC. But anyways, when I got there, uh, it was under, it was the first or the last year under the previous administration. And I was still focused because I had just come from Korea, you know, and then the prior to that assignment, I was the Sergeant Major of the ISAF Joint Command in Afghanistan. So I was really focused on what we were doing in the operational environment. And one of the first meetings I went to with uh, the National Security Council uh, deputy subcommittee groups, they, these are the ones that kind of build uh, best military advice for the president and the National Security Advisor. And it was about what things to do to have an impact on ISIS. And when I went over there and I sat in this meeting, it was a bunch of us civilians in there, a bunch of PhDs and everything. Not one of them has seen the business end of a rifle or you know, had felt the sting of battle or anything. And they were talking about this, developing a jobs program for ISIS. And I about fell out of my damn chair and shit my pants at the same damn time. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some terrorists around the world that are, they're being part of a radical ideology is born out of poverty. But that's primarily in places like Africa, in Somalia, in Niger, places like that. The foreign terrorist fighters in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan are from places like Belgium, France, Germany, UK, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and they're not born out of poverty. They're born out of this radical ideology. And mommy and daddy has given them the money to go abroad to follow their dreams, even though it's some stupid ass shit, like, you know, being a part of an insidious terrorist organization. So as I, as I, that first meeting shaped me as I went around the world visiting our troops. And as Dunford and, and Jim Mattis, you know, the former Secretary of Defense used to say, you get us the pulse of the force out there. So every, every year, I was 270 days a year traveling. So I happened to be in Syria during the fall of Raqqa. Raqqa was the capital of the caliphate for ISIS. And uh, I sh you know, my story is when I go into a skid row bar, Nick, is that I showed up in Raqqa, Syria, and four days later, ISIS surrendered. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> you are but the seriously, reason. What's up with anyways? Some, yeah. <laughs> I was with some of the, our, I, I was with our most elite army special missions unit, the absolute most elite. And I got on the ground and I got on a roof of a building there. By the way, the person in charge of the entire fight, the main effort for the United States to defeat ISIS in Raqqa, wasn't a general, wasn't a colonel, wasn't even an officer. It was an army sergeant major. Boom. All right. Yeah, SMU, anyways, SMU, baby. SMU. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. But I'm on the roof of this building. And, uh, and Dave, I'm just getting back to the question you asked me. And we are just dropping close air support on ISIS targets. We have attack aviation, hitting them with hellfires. Marine Corps artillery firing so many artillery rounds that we blew out two tubes of paladins. Uh, Rangers firing mortars. The Syrian Democratic Forces moving in contact and killing the enemy left and right with U.S. Special Operations Forces as advisors. And the whole time, the whole six hours I was on the roof of that building watching this fight, ISIS never relented. If there was a lull in the fight, a suicide bomber would come out, and generally it was a female with a suicide vest. Or a, one of those Mad Max vehicle-borne IEDs would come out, and they would attack. And so finally, I'm just on the building, and I said, you know, these assholes got one of two options. They can surrender or they can die. All right, if they want to come out and continue to be Johnny Badass, we're going to kill them. And, and so... 
one of the special mission units, Sergeant Major says, well, um, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, you know, if they surrender, you know, we'll treat them humanely. We'll take them, we'll safeguard them to their detainee holding facility cell, give them three hots and a cot and due process. I said, but uh, let there be no doubt. If they don't surrender, then we're gonna kill them with extreme prejudice, whether that's continuing to drop bombs on them, shooting them in the face, or if need be, beat them to death with our entrenching tools. And so one of the other guys that was with me- And that said, is what made you extremely famous. And you actually- yeah. well, that, that, It wasn't that. Tools. Yeah, so it wasn't that. So the guy, one of the guys with me said, you ought to put that in your report to Secretary Mattis and General Dunford. So I did. Mattis wrote me back and said, keep saying it. So I kept saying it. I had been saying it, Dave, for That's like awesome. four or five months, everywhere I went. And never an issue. But then it was Christmas two years ago, and Dunford and I were in a USO tour in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I'm on stage firing the troops up. And that's all it was there to do was to inspire the troops and intimidate the enemy. That's all it was designed to do. And I'm up there and I got an entrenching tool in my hand. Medal of Honor recipient Flo Groberg is with me. He's got an entrenching tool in his hand. Dunford's up there with us. I go ahead and give the spiel. The troops blow the roof off the hangar. And right afterwards, this little fat guy comes walking up to me with cameras, you know, across his uh, chest. And he comes up and he says, I'm so-and-so from the Washington Post. I can't believe you're advocating for soldiers to go out and commit war crimes. I said, dude, you're, you're out of turn, all right? We teach soldiers and Marines how to use non-standard weapons to kill the enemy. And he said, well, I'm going to go public with this. And I said, well, knock yourself out. And as I was walking away, I thought about it and I was like, oh, shit. You know, now I got, I got the media, the mainstream media is going to be all over this. So I call up my public affairs guy, retired Mass Sergeant Rob Couture, my, my brother from another mother that was with me for three years traveling all over the world. And he was back home at the time, unwrapping Christmas presents with his kids. I said, what do we do? This Washington Post guy is going to go public with this. He said, let's beat him to the punch. So he took the quote. He took a picture of me holding an entrenching tool with my trigger finger extended, no less, and even on an entrenching tool, weapons discipline is key, you know? And uh, he posted it on social media and it went viral. Not, we didn't intend it to, it was just there so that we could beat the media that, you know, was kind of uh, a little soft on what, you know, what war fighting is all about. All of a sudden I was getting calls from the media in France, the media in uh, Germany, media in South Korea, People wanting to do interviews. The Fox 5, Greg Gutfeld reached. It was just unbelievable. But you know what the bad part was? Is the, the, the level of hate that came at me from the insider threat of our ranks. Sergeants majors, command master chiefs, chief master sergeants, master gunnery sergeants that started attacking me in, uh, on social media on forums. Like, what does an enlisted guy think he should come out and say something like this? It's the same shit I've been saying for 20 years as a sergeant major. And now all of a sudden, because some jackass in the media wants to make it a big deal, you're going to hold it hostage against me. And uh, so that's what ha that's how it all came about. And as you said, I get to this day, I've signed almost 900 entrenching tools. I was just <laughs> back home in Davenport, Iowa, my hometown uh, last week. And there I was at a bar with a bunch of classmates and they all brought their entrenching tools. I signed them all and everything. So that's how it came out. And to this day, the E-Tool Nation is 900 strong. And if, if it continues to inspire the troops, you know, it intimidated ISIS because they started talking sh shit about me on their 
French propaganda webpage. So we started talking shit back to him. And all of a sudden I had death threats against me and everything. So the security on Joint Base Meyer Henderson all at the time, you know, I had more security around me than the chairman and the chief of staff of the army had at the time because these assholes were pissed off because, you know, I fired up the truth. But that's all it was there to do. What, that's what we do as enlisted. And I couldn't believe people took offense to that. Yeah, hey, uh, Sergeant Major, Love it. it's a, that's a good lead into the Book of Earl uh, that I have on the show. And I'm gonna, it's going to lead into a question for you as well. Uh, okay. Like, like, like you said, why, how could you say that? How could you as a, as a non-commissioned officer say that? And I've struggled with this in my career, my short one, to where I keep getting promoted on the first possibility of chance of getting promoted. And everybody always tells me to be careful. They're like, well, you can't really say that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, yes, I can. And uh, I'm not saying anything wrong. And I'm, I'm trying to tell you to do what's right. And, you know, if I am wrong, please correct me. Absolutely. Honestly. Uh, but the thing is, is people don't understand what our mission is. What yeah. is our job? Our job is to close within and destroy the enemy. Period. And it ain't pretty. You know, yeah. I, my, fa yeah. my father, who did not serve, right, said to me one time, he goes, you know, I kind of got the peace with you going to be in, like, harm's way because that's what we pay you for. You know, and he's like, so when there's when there's a problem, the American people are expecting a bunch of patriots to go there and do things that are, and we've all done them. Uh, yeah. Everybody here, if you watch some of our shows, those are not fake stories. Like, uh, and we have them on there. We just had Ryan Hendricks on here, who had a you know two thousand pound bomb drop five feet away from him. You know, and they yeah. had to lie to the F-16s that that wasn't an American just to get him out of there. You know, and it's like. That's, that's, that's the things we do. And too bad Buddy's not on here because Buddy was in that fight that you were watching. So, uh, like, it's, it's just – it drives me nuts that the Army is – I'm going to tell it's better right now. The Marines probably maybe the same. You, you might have more strategic with the Marines. But I had a – we had an NCOPD from an old SETCOM sergeant major. I can't remember his name. Uh, but he, uh, he was talking about how when they went to his level of – counterpart in the Navy, he had an office like two floors below the officers. And they all went up to the Admiral's, you know, office. And when they started pouring drinks, the, the master chief or whatever said, Hey, we got to go, you know, and yeah. took him out downstairs and they went to his office to have a drink. And it was two floors down in a little corner office. And, you know, he's like, my first sergeants have a bigger office than this guy, you know, and this is the Navy's, you know, four-star level, you know, Sergeant major. And, we are expected as NCOs to lead people in combat at the age of 19 years old. All right. We have the reason why we're the most lethal army in the world is because we have a 19 to 20 year old kid. When he gets shot at, he doesn't have to turn around and ask what to do. Yep. He just goes, he just goes and fights. And if he deems that his team can take it, he takes it. All right. And if his team can't take it, he puts on a suppressive fire, Radio's back to his squad leader says, I need help, right? And I'll put in a little joke here because that's what happened to – well, Dave was on leave, but, Joe, that's what happened to his squad. His squad got pinned down, right? And thank God my squad was there because we saved their lives. Joe, it's okay. You can say it. Uh, but anyways, so – but, you know, either way, it's like that That 19-year-old is making decisions sure. that, that are more stressful than any billionaire is making, period. 
And that kind of goes with what you were saying, Sergeant Major, about, you know, oh, we're supposed to go be range control. Like, do you have any idea what some of these non-commissioned officers have had to deal with? Absolutely. That, that, that goes to uh, my actual book of Earl, which is the new Army H2F program. Now, I've read it, and here's, the, here's all of it. I got notes written on there and everything, and uh, nobody's going to care what I say because I'm just an E8, and where I work, an E8 is like an E4, so it's not, not that big of a deal. But um, it's the phrase, don't fix what's not broke, is probably one of the dumbest freaking phrases of all time, all right? The fixed and the growth mindset. I've said it before on here. Just because you have it going well doesn't mean you can't make it better, right? But let me tell you what's not going well in the Army and probably the whole DOD is injuries, all right? People not deployable. That's not going well. All right, so if we'd make any changes, it doesn't matter what we change. Let's try something, all right? Like, like yep. let's just all try doing jumping jacks all day long, see if it works, all right? Because what's going on right now is not working. Another thing that's not working is suicides, all right? The Army's up 30, 30% right now on the last report, okay? It went from like uh, 80, 82 active duty people at the same time frame to about 110, something like that. Uh, I could be off of my numbers a little bit, but up 30%. And again, everybody in America with the English language has a linear thing. This is what's wrong. This is why we need to fix it. This will fix it. No, it's a whole system. All right. The whole system shot. It's broken. It's old. It's terrible. All right. I've been part of it. I've done my part in it. I've been injured. I've, you know, I, I did what they told me to do. And I went and I sought outside sources. All right. I paid out of my own damn pocket. And I had patriots that have hooked me up for free. It helped me out with like the muscle activation guys and it kept my career going. Bottom line is, is this, this is a good thing. Okay. Absolutely. It, it might, it might, it might not be the best thing yet, but it's a start. Sorry. So they say, they say holistic. It might not necessarily all be holistic. Cause when I'm reading it, it's still a lot of the same stuff with PRT. But again, this is what I just wrote a paper about. Uh, PRT is awesome. The problem is, is the culture hasn't changed. You're exactly right. right. The, the, the culture hasn't changed. And yeah, you can blame us. You can blame me. I was a first sergeant. All right. I was an E7 when it came out. Right. You can blame me. All right. Because even I at first was like, what the hell is this bend and reach shit? I don't want to do this crap, you know. But again, I was raised as an athlete. I played college football and baseball before I got in the Army. Right. So it's like I was treated like an athlete. We don't treat soldiers like athletes. All right, we don't at all. So you can't expect a kid, 18 years old, who comes in playing video games his whole life to be able to go out and ruck march. You can't expect him to go start doing deadlifts and shit. Like, that's not going to work. All right, he's going to get hurt. All right, he or she's going to get hurt. So the, the, this whole system that they're trying to start up is going to be awesome. All right. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, you know, um, uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe. No, that's all right. Um, I was just – honestly, I was – I've said it to Nick before that, um, you know, that pro football, pro baseball, pro th – those are the top one percentile of people on the planet that do that. But what they can't do is what the United States military possesses, which is the top one percentile of people on the planet that can do that. That means, in my eyes, they're professional athletes. 
Now, not the entire military. There's obviously levels to it, but it needs to be treated as such, as, as, as something. These guys are doing something with no other human being on the planet can do. Yeah. And I, hey, and, Joe, and, you're and, right. And, yep. I was starting right, to argue. Yeah, I was starting to argue with uh, a couple officers years ago about the, the military athlete program. I was like, you don't treat us like athletes. You can take this yeah. program and shove it. You know, and so when I when I took uh, over as a first sergeant, I actually got the the commander to make it policy that soldiers, everybody below the rank of E6 was off for 1500 to go work out. Right. And so now it's policy. Right. It's in the training plan. It's signed by the colonel. Right. And because if you give me three months to train for a fight. All right. And I know that I'm going to someplace crazy, high altitude, whatever, wherever we're going to go fight. But you tell me that I get two months to do one thing and I get one month to do another thing. And that two months is PT. And the other, and then the other month is battle drills. I'm picking two yeah. months to do PT. All right. I'm getting my guys in the best shape as possible because why, if they're in good shape and they get wounded, they got a better chance to survive. That's, that's a fact. All right. And what good is it? If you can shoot and do all this kind of stuff, you can't get to the damn fight. One of my, one of my favorite stories of all time with Colonel Evans, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, General Evans now, but like, you know, he asked us after road march. He's like, how are you feeling control? I was like, I'm good. He's like, how are you guys doing? I'm like, okay. He's like, how many of them could fight right now? And this one, a platoon sergeant. I was like, probably about four. You know? And he's like, he looks at his officers. He goes, none of you would give me that answer. He's like, none, all of you would tell me that we're ready. Right. And that's what I laughed at meetings when they said that we were trained and proficient in certain things at the metal. Right. And I'm like, I look at my captain. I'm like, there's no way we're trained at that. There's no way we're proficient at that. They rushed it through so that they could be green on the slide. So what this yeah. program does, what this program does actually, which I was waiting for, is they put it in the metal. And yeah. until you start firing kernels, nobody's going to change this culture, period. I'm with you. Right. So, so that's, yeah. Go ahead. So that's the question. That's the this, question. Where do you see this going? And I think that that's the right step with putting it in the metal and, you know, getting after it. Absolutely. One of the things that, that I've lived with, my whole time as a sergeant major is my role is to make sure that the men and women in my organization are prepared for the conditions they will face on the worst day of their life. Whether that's locked against a, a superior enemy in combat, whether it's through a traumatic event that Leah has been through or, or she described for us and everything, whatever that is, I've got to prepare them physically, mentally, and emotionally for that. And this whole holistic health thing really became an issue at the, utmost strategic level when I was the SEAC and uh, the president, you know, was going back and forth with Kim Jong-un, you know, our rocket man, you know, and, and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and then Kim Jong-un fired another missile that went over the mainland of Japan and landed in the water. And, uh, you know, that was when the president was in his, you know, if Kim Jong-un fires one more missile, he's going to be met with fire and fury, you know, so it was after the Fire and Fury speech, and basically he told Mattis, get ready for war in North Korea. So the first thing Mattis had to look at is, you know, this is open source information. You needed 25 Army Brigade combat teams to fight and win on Korea. You needed two entire Marine Expeditionary Forces. You needed 60% of the Navy. You needed uh, 45 fighter and bomber squadrons. And then even those little fellers in the Coast Guard, we'd need at least a quarter of that 40,000 strong to get after the littorals in Nampo and Wansan Bays. And so Mattis says to me, hey, what's the, 
what's the deployability of our force across the DOD? All uh, 2.7 million active guard and reserve. 17% of the force was non-deployable. Less than 1% of it was due to deployment or battle injuries. So people were getting hurt in training or doing things. And, uh, and then to top it off, 100,000 of those troops. So that's roughly about 400,000 troops. About 100,000 of them were diagnosed as clinically obese, meaning they were so obese they needed health care to treat their obesity. And that health care bill was $5 billion a year. Right off the top of the defense budget, $5 billion goes to 100,000 people. And so Mattis just ripped into the service secretaries and the chiefs and said, we got to get this force deployable. He came back with a letter that said, you got a year to get deployable or we're going to process you for elimination. And we started to see some energy going. And then the services started looking critically internally at themselves, specifically the Army and the Marine Corps at best. And that's where this H2F stuff started coming out. And I even championed a DOD readiness and resilience workshop. I brought members of industry in. I brought a bunch of troops in to interact with industry. And then I did a DOD roundtable with Deputy Secretary of Defense Shanahan, the number two guy in the Defense Department, with a bunch of members in the fitness and nutrition industry so we could see ourselves. But still, that was, we were still admiring the problem. And when Mattis came out with that letter, I couldn't believe some senior leaders in the services that were pushing back on Mattis. You know, like, like basically he was just, you know, calling it what it was, you know, that we were screwed up. And then it got to the point with Mattis that every time he saw a fat guy in the Pentagon, generally it was an officer, I'd have to go to his office and it'd be, Sergeant Major, what are we going to do with these fat asses, you know? We're trying to get ready for war. And at one time in jest, in jest, I said, Mr. Secretary, there's 22,000 troops in this Pentagon. Let's line them all outside your office in the E-ring. I'll have a scale here. We'll put them on the scale. If they can't pass their service uh, fitness test or their, their body fat test, test. You tell them, test. they got to go. He said, that's a great idea, you know? Well, 15 minutes later, the general counsel folks, the lawyers are coming in there to tell me, hey, he can't do that. And I said, look, I was freaking kidding. But the point is, and I think the Secretary of Defense was kidding too. Well, with Mattis, you never know. But um, I said, but the point is, we're going to put energy onto this problem and get after it. And so now I am, I'm excited about this uh, holistic health and fitness program, where now you're going to kind of put at the unit level, the unit level kind of human performance teams are going to look at like the ones in the Ranger Regiment, uh, in, in all of the USASOC units, in, in Navy Special Warfare Command, Marine Special Operations Command, and with all the battlefield airmen and uh, uh, units and everything. So when you have strength and conditioning coaches, you have uh, nutritionists, you have athletic trainers, you've got physical therapists, you have all of them at the unit level that are under the charge of the commander and the sergeant major, you're gonna be able to have an impact, you know? But the, the bottom line is until everyone buys in in a leadership role, you know, PT is not something to go out and feel good about. You know, for me, for 38 years, it was, how do I get better tomorrow? What you talked about, Nick, the growth. We shouldn't be fixed on what we are. You know, if every day we say, well, I'm as good as I'm ever going to be, then you're going to be irrelevant uh, in a hurry. And in combat, you're going to be complacent and you're going to be an easy target for the enemy. Correct. It's about Correct. growing every day. And so that's why 
In order to change this culture, we have to be, hold on, 120% all in on this freaking program, all right? And if we do that, now we, we already have the best military in the world, but if we do that, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, and certainly terrorists will think twice about doing anything in the competition space or in the conflict space. No, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, that you're getting that pushback and it's, you know, in the, 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 the I go to the UTEP uh, for that master's in leadership thing that I'm doing right now, but it's like pretty much the Yale, the Southwest. We covered that already in the, in the other yeah. thing. But so, but anyways, yeah, that whole, that whole fixed mindset is who's pushing back. And yeah. it's like, no, we're, we're good where we are. It's like, we might be, we might be fine. It's like, but why would we not be better? Like, how, but then how can you not see how Dave, broken you the system up, is? Yeah. Dave, you brought up the Fayetteville company when I came out to visit. And you yep. guys had the best recruiting percentages in the entire United States Army Recruiting Command. We did. I was actually, I was number one in USREC that year. And uh, your first sergeant there um, comes up to me and that's all he talked. Top company, this and that. And I said, okay, so who is your best station commander? He says, well, they're all good. I said, really? I said, okay, let's look at it. All right. Percentage wise, I see this company is, or this station is doing a lot better than this one. I said, this one that's not doing so well, tell me about this station commander. He says, well, he failed the PT test. I said, well, how can he be as good as the guy that's the top? The point being is he didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings by saying you're number four or four or, or telling Dave, you're number one of four, and all of a sudden, all the drinks are on Dave, you know? The, we are so risk-averse because we're afraid of constructive criticism on people to get them to build and continue to strive for excellence. We want well, that's the 60% the whole, that's mentality. What the new, that's what the new evaluation system, you know, is all about. Yeah. You know, ranking them and st racking them and stacking them. So, yeah. And, and you, you, even, you had pushback on that because people just don't – they fear change. They don't want to embrace ambiguity. They want to be in their little comfort zone. They don't want to get yeah. outside of it. The whole freaking point of Ranger School is to get you outside of your comfort zone and because that makes you a better leader. It's like, well, you know what? I was Absolutely. able to make it and I can make a decision now because I can make one when I was in there, you know, and, and when I was in RI uh, in Florida, I'd have to tell the platoons all the time when they started getting down. I was like, hey, look, man, if I give you guys like two days and I assigned you all a leadership position and I gave you some food, you'd be some of the most lethal people on the planet. It's like you yeah. don't even realize how much your SOPs are in line. And it's all because they're out of their comfort zone. Man, it just. So that's why, thing, you know, when I, to this day, I still go, even as a retiree, I go in PT. The units that get it. So I'll give you an example. Second Striker Brigade 2ID up here at Joint Base Lewis-McCord. Brigade commander, former Ranger Regiment guy, strive for excellence, hasn't forgotten where he's come from. His sergeant major, same kind of way. And I. The top company they have there, every quarter they have top squad competition in terms of PT, battle drills, as you discussed, marksmanship, and things like that, EIB kind of test. And one company, the last quarter, had four of the five top squads. This quarter, they had two of the top three squads. And I went to PT with this company, and their company commander, Airborne Ranger, their XO, female, Airborne Ranger. And they just have this attitude of striving for excellence across the organization. And I will tell you what, they PD'd the shit out of me so bad, I was hoping somebody would show up with some clackers and a nasal pharyngeal airway to freaking revive my ass, man. But the point being is, 
They have demonstrated excellence in an organization. Why? Because they are demanding excellence in the basics, PT, battle drills, fundamentals like that. And, uh, and that's how you build an organization. But too many times, we want people to be 60 percenters. And you have an organization of 60 percenters, you're one point away from failure, and it'll show up in combat at the worst time. And that's why we have to have a strive for excellence attitude. And that's what this program is all about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When I go to PT tests, you know, as a company first sergeant, even as a station commander, coming out to USREC, it was a, you know, everybody's taking a PT test and they're doing the bare minimum, you know, 60 and then getting up. It, it took me a long time to adjust to that. Because you do that in the infantry, you're getting fired. They're dropping your ass. Oh, yeah. Um, you are doing the bare minimum, you know, and it, it used to frustrate the hell out of me. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. So when I, when I look at this, this list of personnel for this new program, all right, you have physical therapist, uh, dietitian, occupational therapist, cognitive performance expert, H2F trainer, athletic trainer certified. I want to get rid of that guy. So maybe because we got you, Sergeant Major, on here, somebody might listen to it. Get rid of that guy and get a muscle activation guy in there. Yeah. Right? Somebody who can mm -hmm. get you symmetrical, get you ready to train. All right, and then your strength and conditioning specialist, all right, he could be your athletic trainer. You can get a guy certified yeah. in both. That's not hard. Yeah. You know, so we got to get these guys measured up and, you know, documented that, hey, this guy's range of motion in his hip is like six degrees worse than everybody else's. All right, let's work on him yeah. before we put a ruck on his back. You know, like. That's why one of the organizations of I work for is FitOps Foundation. Number one priority with FitOps is, uh, you know, by the way, the guy, the CEO of it is a former spec four. So here's a retired SEAC working for a, a spec four and uh, the director of operations got out of the army as a staff sergeant. So here's a former SEAC working for two people that were, but the bottom line is it's about organizational excellence, but it's an organization that's, that's focused on combating and defeating veteran suicide, but also providing transitioning service members and veterans purpose by training them to be certified veteran fitness operatives. Think of this, one of these kids that goes through this program that comes out with credentials, you know, from the National Academy of Sports Medicine, um, from, uh, you know, is a CSCS or whatever, and is a veteran and can go back into these organizations, he's gonna be more welcome within that organization than somebody that has a degree in one of those, uh, disciplines you talked about that's straight out of college that's never been around the military. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do. Let's get veterans trained and educated and empowered and get them into these organizations to serve in those roles. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah, okay, so I've been out a hot minute, so, but um, I know that one of my biggest challenges as an NCO was dealing with soldiers that had zero intestinal fortitude like zero. And so you, you know, you were talking about like, they, they do 60% and quit like up oh, a pass. I'm done. But it was, I mean, it was just like everything that we're supposed to be training and doing. Cause even though like, I mean, I'm a pogue, right. But I, we're all soldiers first, right. That's and okay. I so sorry, major. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like every, said, everybody's job it. first is to be yeah. combat arms. Like, you know, ready right Absolutely. I mean I, I never I, I was training at one point to try to get into 160th but I never thought that I was going to be like ranger and infantry like I didn't want that for me like I was what I was doing was hard enough but we're all soldiers fighting in this army and our number one job 
is to defend our country and defend our one another and know how to yeah. fight and train. We trained how to fight, you know, we, we trained to fight and I would get in trouble with like constantly PTing my soldiers and we had a good relationship, but I was tough. Right. Yeah. And if they messed up, they knew they were doing PT and we had the strongest platoon of our company. Right. Yeah. But we, I had so many soldiers that just had zero intestinal fortitude. And then I would get into trouble for pushing them too hard. Right. And I'm like, Leah. this is what we're here for. That's right. Yeah. Right. So you're, Leah, that's a great on, point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So here's, this is what, when we talk about 120% all in, in this relentless grind, um, what you were doing is the standard we should have. Demanding excellence out of your troops, not perfection, because when you start demanding perfection, the environment become to can become toxic. You were demanding excellence. Other leaders are standing around watching you do that. And they're not doing it. They any don't want to give up that, that same kind of effort. So guess what? Those young troops in there that are looking for someone to give them sympathy and pity, they'll get it from someone outside your sphere. I call those professional jellots because they'll look at you and they'll be jealous of what you're doing and, and think that their 60% effort should get rewarded like your 90% effort. And that's one of the problems we have in the military. And it's tough when a kid that you're trying to get to follow your lead, you're leading by example, you're being Iron Mike saying, follow me. And all of a sudden they get around another NCO outside of your sphere. And that NCO says, well, that NCO is just, excuse my language, a bitch, or, you know, is just, uh, you know, asking too much out of you and everything, you know? Um, and it's, that's the problem in our military. And that goes back to Nick's point. That we we got to be all in. And then those people out there that don't want to be all in. Hey, I'll give you an example. I was a good fellow Air Force base with an MI battalion, 344th MI battalion. And I did PT with them out there. And I had all these privates that were out there just following this old 56-year-old retired grandfather. And we're getting after it. And the NCOs that were out there, except for the first sergeant and another NCO, all the other NCOs were dying. And they were quitting. And when we got done, I said, look, my, I don't have a, you know, I can tell you and chew your ass right here. And you can tell me to go fuck myself because I'm retired now. But you're going to hear this anyways. Those kids are looking for or, or inspiration, purpose, motivation, and direction. And if they ain't getting it from you, fat asses, they're going to go find it from somewhere else. And they might find it in, out in the corporate world instead of the military. So that's the problem right there. If we're not all in and everybody out there is trying to be their best, we'll never get to this problem. This is a good blueprint, Nick. But like, I, like you were saying, changing the culture is going to make this work. And we got to right. get after it. Right. And people need to realize that it's a blueprint. And we can yeah. add to it. We can take away from it. We can, oh, we yeah. can build it. And it's, it's a change because it's broken. Now, with the suicide rates, again, that's yeah. a broken system. People are hurt. All right, they get out of the army and they're sore. I, my buddy who just graduated last class from the academy, he wrote a paper on the broken NCO Corps, you know, on how you're just, you, you, we've deployed for so long, all right? And we don't get the fellowship opportunity until you're a sergeant major. You don't get the, you know, you don't get the little break assignment. I got lucky to get yeah. my break assignment. Because I'm telling you right now, if I had to walk ACRC lanes right now, uh, after the, what my body's went through, I'd, I'd be in trouble. So I'm lucky to have this assignment, you know, thank God for it. But, um, you know, being broke is why people are killing themselves. And you're looking at 
the ages of 45 and 50 year olds right now, they're the highest ones, 60s. The Vietnam vets actually, 65, 70. All right, yeah. they're killing themselves. All right, because they're just sick of it. All right, they're done. And I'm not calling them cowards. All right, I used to call people who committed suicide cowards. Right, I used to do that in my younger, immature days. All right, they, they're not cowards. They put up with more pain and more mental trauma than any of us can possibly imagine. You know, and if we just could have linked it if we just could have got them to the point to where we were tracking what was wrong with them. And I got it. Science evolves and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But this program has a link there. The H2F is going to be linked to the VA. Right. And it's, that's it, a, it's a great start and building it. And like I said, get these guys again, Leah, like you're talking about, there's, a, there's another reason with the, with the whole organization to where you got these 18, 19 year old kids that they may seem like they don't give a shit. It's because they they're hurting. Right? They don't have the muscles. They don't have the, the, the fortitude instilled in them. And before we could instill it in them, they're broke. Right? They're already hurt because we had them running five miles every day. Right? We didn't have a solid PT plan for them. We didn't have the nutrition for them. And it's like that, that they just got set up for failure. And then God forbid they actually had some fortitude and they stayed in for two terms. And then they get out and they fought you know, two, two years in a war zone. All right, so they have the PTSD and their body's just broke, just absolutely broke, all right? So again, we're the leaders. What are we going to do to change that? You know, and so like so, I said, I'm happy. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so talking about suicide. So you're right. The average age is between 55 and 65 now for uh, veterans that commit suicide. First of all, we have to get to the left of this, okay? What is the number, what are the causes of post-traumatic stress depression and, and things like that, okay? It's, it's normally built off of grief and fear, okay? Grief from, you know, losses in combat or people getting hurt in combat or grief off of a traumatic event you've been involved in. And then fear, not fear of the enemy, but it's fear of not being prepared every day. We live in a, an institution that every day we have to be prepared. And when we, we, the fear is we're not going to be prepared when we need to be. That's why you see a lot of people that um, suffer from uh, traumatic potentiated startle, meaning that they're easily scared the shit out, you know, guilty as charged, you know. My wife will come up behind me when I'm on my computer or something, and all of a sudden she would just touch me on the shoulder, and it'll scare the shit out of me. And I don't get mad at her. I get mad at myself when I wasn't ready. And then how many times do we go into a restaurant and we position ourselves so we can see all of the avenues of approach into that restaurant, okay? Yep. To, to the lay person, that means we are paranoid, okay? But we are suspiciously alert on a lot of these things and it's normal reactions to the abnormal circumstances we've been through. And there's a stigma associated with seeking help. We all know that. And I will tell you, you know, I first went into combat in 1989 in the, in the jump into Panama. And then, you know, I served in Iraqi freedom twice and enduring freedom once. And uh, I was a year out from being retired. And my wife said, you know, I think you need to go see some help. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, in a year from now, all of this, she was kind of talking Pentagon, SEAC, living on Fort Myer, all, the, all of this is going to be done. And it's just going to be you and me. And when it's you and me, I can't 
live being around you being angry all the time. I just thought, I'm this angry old Sergeant Major, and that's what I'm supposed to be, you know. But so I went and, you know, first to appease my wife, but I went to behavioral health, met a therapist, and uh, she started talking to me, and I didn't want sympathy. I didn't want, uh, you know, the group hug kind of stuff and everything. I just wanted to understand what was going on with me. And it felt like this woman was ripping my head open and she could read my mind. And so the next time I went there, she diagnosed me with having PTSD. And so now guess what I had to do? I'm the senior enlisted guy in the Department of Defense. I've got to walk 200 meters and tell Mad Dog Mattis, and I got to tell Fighting Joe Dunford that their Sergeant Major has PTSD. That was, I've done a lot of foot marches. I've done a lot of marathons in my military career. That 200 meter walk was the hardest and longest walk I ever had to do. And you know what, when I went in there and told them, you know what they said? Well, good, you're in the right place. Uh, and what did Mattis say? What's going on in Yemen now? Aren't you going there next week to see what's going on with Al Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula? It was almost as if I created all of this, you know, kind of, um, you know, just fear of being ostracized. I did it myself. Madison Dunford didn't give a shit. They were like, good, you're in the right place. You're getting therapy and everything. And so the bottom line to this day, a year and a half later, I still have the same therapist. And once a week I sit down and I just talk to understand. And it's somebody that I can talk to about the traumatic events over a 38 year career and six years in combat. So I'm with you. And until we get rid of that stigma that's associated with it, all of a sudden you're in behavioral health. Oh shit. You're radioactive now and people don't want to be around. You're not going to get promoted. Things of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is, and this is what our special operations community has figured out, you know, with our preservation of force and fitness and everything that they're doing, they realize that you put a bunch of elite operators like that in combat 100 days in, 100 days out, you're going to start having behavioral health issues. And so we've all got to understand it is a function of what we do and everything that we do within it. Now, obviously, some have it worse than others and they need medication, service dogs and things, but the things that we do because of PTSD, it's normal reactions to abnormal circumstances, you know, and hey, we got to accept it. Yeah. When we had the, when we had the colonels on, uh, retired colonels from Cool Al Distillery, you know, they talked about how they used to send their soldiers coming back from the deployment. They would, they would force them to go through mental health. They're like, you, yeah. can, sit, you can either sit there all day and not go see a doctor or you can actually do something in the four hours that you're there. And I thought that was actually pretty amazing to like, they said it, how it removed the stigma. Yep. For them. Yeah, that oh, was yeah, that, that was that, it was that, the initial they, they was were, getting the ball rolling. Yeah, those colonels are special operations too. So that they they were able to they're able to do that, and that's where we're going now with this. Is you know yep. we need to get there for the whole force to, to where you know we're going to lose a couple guys, girls here and there because that's just the way life is. But yeah. we get, we can, we can get well below the national average because we have leaders all freaking around us. Uh, I'd love to keep this conversation going, but I don't know if my computer can handle much more of the freaking recording. Yeah. Um, I'd love to have you guys on again when we can go live when our producer comes back. If you guys would be on here, Leah, we'd love to have you. I know you're over for 2 on going live. Uh, we're going to give it a shot. Um, but uh, Sergeant Major. Yeah, absolute- but this, this, I'm sorry, Nick. No, this has to go live. We got to do this again and so go we'll, live. We'll, we'll get, we'll hey, get I'm all again. in, teammates. Okay. I'm in the on deck circle. I got a donut on my back, taking practice swings. 
or I'm in the bullpen, and all you got to do is yeah, call tell me you need me to come in and finish out the ninth inning. Whatever so support you guys need. Yeah, another shout out to our sponsors with Muscle Activation, uh, Cardinal Financial, Zach Farkas, and 10th Mountain Distillery. Uh, they're doing a great job uh, helping out veterans. And uh, put that BTT code in for 10th Mountain. You get a little discount on your bourbon or your, uh, or your moonshine, whatever you want. So, uh, Leah, last word. On the spot. You have to unmute yourself. You have to unmute yourself. Unmute. Last word. <laughs> Sorry, I said all my good stuff when I was muted. No, thank you guys so much for having me again. <laughs> my intro, right? <laughs> I was talking shit, so that's what I was doing. No, I appreciate it. Anybody else, like any females, uh, if any males feel comfortable reaching out to me about what we talked about or really anything else um, non-sexual, obviously, please don't hit on me. I'm happily married. But um <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm here for the community in any way that I can be, and I, I'll be an ear. So, appreciate it. Awesome. Warrior, Thanks. Warrior. I love all you guys, and uh, we'll have you on again. Yeah.